0: Hey, this morning, uh, <coughs> just want to take some time in the series that we've been working through called All Things New. Um, and, uh, you know, just as I was praying there, I was just reminded that we live in this most incredible moment in space and time and history, like no other. And the, the, what makes it so incredible is that we're living in a time of all of the prophetic hope of the long, long story of God in the people of God in the, in the Old Testament, the people of God in Israel, the prophetic hope that one day all, God would make everything right with the sending of a Messiah, that that prophetic hope has come in Jesus. And so we're living in this space and time of fulfilment. It's like God has said, all right, I am going to make everything right. And to do that, I am sending my very son, Jesus. And in sending Jesus, Jesus makes everything right by dealing with the power of sin and death and also at the same time showing us what it means to be a human being living under the generosity of God's love in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at Jesus, we get this glimpse and this reality of invitation that says your life can have a sense of fulfillment all because of Jesus. And yet what makes this moment in time just as interesting and just as dynamic of being fulfilled is that we are living in a time of incredible hope for the future. And why? Because Jesus, who is the king of the future, he's the beginning and the end. Everything holds together in him. His future has also crashed back into history. And so we live in this time of both fulfillment in Jesus and the incredible hope of everything that Jesus is doing and will do at the same time is crashing in upon us. So we live in this amazing place, don't we? It's like, so some days we wake up and we're like, it doesn't get any better. My life is fulfilled. There is joy, there is hope, there is authority, there's the grace of the kingdom of God all over my life. And yet by lunchtime, even though we've had three shots of espresso, we find ourselves in the mindset and the emotional state of going, oh God, how long, how long will you be before you fully do everything that you said you'd do? That's the reality that we live in. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I struggle to be okay with that because I either want it to be either all this or either all that. And God says, well, it is. It's all that and all that all at the one time. And so it's an incredible place to live, isn't it? And this morning, as we talk about all things new, I want to talk a little bit about the church, the people of Jesus, this kingdom people in the earth where King Jesus gets to have his way with a group of people. And why a church? And what is a church? And what's their purpose in the, in the earth? And I just want to touch on a little bit of that this morning. So you may remember that at the start of this series... We talked about how, in coming into a relationship with Jesus, He is the center of our world. If we read anything all through Ephesians, we see, and Colossians, we see how Jesus, everything holds together in Jesus. So He's the center. We even sang about that this morning Be my center in the chaos. You know, it's like, that's Everyone wants this centred life, this life that is like um, somehow stabilised and has purpose and meaning. And we find that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he, is, he becomes the centre of everything. He becomes the centre of how we do relationships. He becomes the centre of how we understand in being in a relationship with God and each other. He, he becomes the centre of what it means to have a sense of purpose because it all comes through him and in Jesus we talked we talked about how we get a new father we get the father of the Lord Jesus is now our father and, and we get rid of the old father which was the king of darkness we come out from under his reign and we come into the reign of the father of our Lord Jesus so we get a new father we get a new life It's no longer me who lives, said Paul, but it's Jesus who's now come alive in me. And we get born again into that reality of a whole new way of life, a better story. And then we also come into a different kingdom in Jesus. And I think Sarah did a wonderful job, if you haven't listened to the podcasts, you know, Sarah Wiseman did a wonderful job on explaining what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus because in Jesus you actually are experiencing not just a person but you are experiencing his rule and reign, his authority to be over all things and in all things. And so we get, it, we get to live in this new kingdom and then we also get this new family and that's the bit I want to talk about this morning, this new family family. This church where God's making all things new in the earth and we get to be a part of this church. Now, one of the values uh, that I want to touch on this morning, uh, let me hear here it is, is this idea of unity. We value unity. We're convinced that everyone who belongs to Jesus are one in his body, the church, and we aim to maintain that unity by honouring all who call on Jesus' name by seeking reconciliation with all parts of the church. I love that. If you read in John 17 there, you, you hear this is Jesus just pre, pre the cross. And he's, it's, it's his heartbeat, it's his longing, it's his desire before he goes to the cross. He's like, Father... I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've made you known to them. And, but I really want now, more than anything, not just those that you've given me, not just those who believe in me, but also for all of those who in and over time will also believe in me, I'm asking that they would be one, just like you, Father, and I are one. You're in me, I'm in you. I long for that, that there would be these people just like me, this is Jesus, just like me in the earth who experience this oneness with God, this unity with God. So when you're thinking about unity, we're thinking here about relationship. Now, we tend to think about unity in terms of uniformity, don't we? We tend to go, oh, they're on the same team. You can see they're on the same team because they wear the same shirts. But sometimes even the best of teams don't play with unity, and you can see that on any weekend on a sporting event. (laughs) Sometimes there's the one hero that wants to take up the whole thing and be the team, and there's others who are lost in their purpose, on the field, as a part of the team? What am I even doing here? And there's all of these dynamics. Just because you wear the uniform doesn't mean you're unified. And um, I'm going to touch on that in in a few minutes about the the life of the church as well, because this is one of the great challenges. But ultimately, this is the heart cry of Jesus. And so if Jesus is our centre... If he's, if, if this is the high point of his prayer life, then, then we're going to get sucked into the centrality of that prayer life for ourselves. It's like, Oh God, that we might walk with this same oneness together in the earth that reflects you and, you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That we too might walk in the power of that oneness. And so when we're talking about oneness, we are talking about unity, we are talking about the church. Paul talks in Corinthians about how once we come into a relationship with Jesus and receiving this new family, we are the church. There's an identity being proclaimed here, the ecclesia, and really what it means is Those people who have heard the kindness of God reach and speak towards their life and they've gone, I feel like I'm being called out of doing life the way I've understood it to now doing life a new way with Jesus where he gets to be the king and he gets to author everything. And as a part of that, he gathers me with these other people who have also, like me, been called out of where I once was and into Who Jesus is and so we do this life together so no longer do we do life on our own but we do it in fellowship we do it in community this is what Jesus has done now each one of you it's interesting that individually we find our place in the community If you try and find your place outside the community, you will wrestle for your purpose and meaning because Jesus has designed this thing with the heart of God so that we would live as one people with God in the earth, even as it is in heaven. I know that's a lot to hold together all at one time, but I think you're doing really good at it. This is where it's, it's at. Now, unfortunately, um, not just current time, but through all of history, people have kind of approached the church um, like it's, um, like, you know, when you're receiving a gift at Christmas or your birthday and you're like, yeah, 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 I can't wait to see what's on the inside of the wrapper. And you tear that wrapper apart, or some of you might open it methodically, open the wrapper methodically, others of you might just like tear into it wherever there's an edge, you just grab it and rip it open, all is good, either way is fine, but usually what happens to the paper is that unless you're a really avid recycler, most of that paper just gets ripped up, thrown to the floor or into the bin because you want what's inside, you want the gifts. Well, the church, for many reasons and for many years, from, by many people, is treated like the rapper. Bringing this revelation of Jesus to the world in partnership with the Holy Spirit. These people together and people go, yeah, yeah, we're not really interested in you guys or what you, what you look like or how you go about. It. We just want what's on the inside. And so there's a high value of what's to be gained by connecting with Jesus. People want that, but they've mistaken the value and the purpose and the place of the church. And the church has been treated like wrapping paper, disposable. Or if I don't like that wrapping paper, I'll go and get some more. So there's this undervaluing of the body of Jesus at the same time. So what I'm trying to say here today is that there's a real work of the Holy Spirit Calling people into Christ and into the church with a great love for the church. Now, let me just talk a little bit here about what or who is the church. Michael Bird is an Australian theologian, he's a Queenslander, actually, he's based in Melbourne and he's a professor of theology. He's a pretty smart dude. But he's written this book, and in this book, he really goes to town to try and tease out who the church is and who the church isn't. And I, if, if, if you take some time, it's, it's, probably, it's worth a read. It's not a cheap book, but it's called um, What Christians Ought to Believe. And he basically unpacks the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a bit of church history. I'll touch on that in a minute. But the Apostles' Creed, which was basically a bunch of um, early-day Jesus people, before they had the Bible all put together in the format that we had it, and they were trying to figure out what do we believe and what don't we believe. They're saying this, they're saying that. And so they got together and they mashed up their hearts and heads, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, they said, ''Well, this is what we believe.'' and they called it a creed. Now, a creed could be a confessional statement because a creed could be carried in the heart of a person. Basically, a creed is you take all of everything of this, and for people like me, it's the dummies version of the whole story of God. And you get it in a creed, and it's like these 10 little confessional statements that you can carry in here wherever you go. And so before they had the scriptures, they had the creeds. And so the people of Jesus were going all over the place with these creeds. Oh, this is what we believe. This is what makes us a little different to them and them and them and them. This is what makes our God stand out. But Michael makes these great little statements. Actually, I'm going to read a longer statement to you when he says this it'll catch on to this one up the screen here in a minute he says it's too easy to view the church as a convenient location to have our spiritual needs satisfied where the church becomes the place I go to get my God fix for the week a place where I can get some encouragement from my favorite preachers somewhere I can attend to enjoy the worship that I find uplifting, a convenient place where I meet up with Christian friends, a provider who exists primarily for my spiritual satisfaction and my religious pleasure. Whatever we might call that entity, consumerist religion or even Christianity. It is certainly not the church as Christians have ordinarily understood it to be. So everything I've just said, that's not the church. That's not the church. The church, he says, is not a local franchise with a mission statement to meet my spiritual needs. The church is not a business selling snack-sized portions of religion to the muddled masses who crave a few moments of transcendence for their very ordinary life? That's not the church. I'm not sure whether or not you, you know, that might push a few. Oh, for me, oh, that's why I thought I was here. But that's not the church. the The body of Jesus, the unifying body of Jesus, is a preview community of where God as king gets to have his way with a group of people in the power of the Holy Spirit, making Jesus famous and bringing hope for all humanity. They're they're a peculiar group. They gather regularly. They understand they can't do it on their own and they understand the value that actually there is something very precious about the wrapper in which all of these Jesus realities is offered to my life. The church is a beautiful, beautiful group of people following King Jesus. Now, let's skip back just briefly to the whole thing of the creeds. You know, the creeds were, um, I explained briefly there, they were basically these This is what we believe and this is what we don't believe. Or this is what we, to this point, understand truth to be. And so we're going to nail our flag to that and we're going to walk in that space and to differentiate ourselves from other, other religions, other gods. Okay. So they're, they're trying to differentiate, uh, themselves. Now, in the creeds, there's these, there's two kind of main creeds. The first one's called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was kind of like the first gathering of all of these early Christian people that got together to nut some of this stuff down. And then a little while on, there was also, well, actually, it wasn't their first gathering. It was a gathering. And then a little while after that, then they came what was called the Nicene Creed, which was, again, they were like, we got to figure some of this stuff out it's not we thought it was this but we're actually running into trouble with that one we don't think that's it we think it's this and so they sort of just tweaked and grew and built their understanding as they went as the as the as the canon of scripture was slowly coming together under the inspiration of the holy spirit but one of the statements of the early jesus people work, walking the earth they came out one with was this we believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Now, please don't get all pressed up about some of those words, all right? Please don't get pressed up about some of those words because this has actually been the confession of the people of Jesus since the people of Jesus came together in the earth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They said, we actually believe that the Jesus people all over the world belong to the body of Christ, Now, how that gathers in context will be very different due to context for people. Some people live in oppressed situations. Some people live in more free situations. And so the concept of gathering even is very different. And so it will contextually look very different. But the word, now let me just, I I, I won't unpack the whole thing, but look, just to, Catholic does not mean, Roman Catholic Church, okay? What it means is universal Jesus people. People all over the world who believe in Jesus. It's that Catholic Church. It's not the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Just to clarify, that's what they were that's what they were creating. That's what. um so the Roman so an apostolic um that has to do with the whole understanding of the message of the gospel of the good news of Jesus that the early apostles went around proclaiming as they traveled. Those apostolic characters that walked around sprouting the Jesus stuff, okay? And as a result of them doing that, people formed, churches grew, and communities were influenced by the kingdom of God as a result. So, but the idea of One church. Now, if there's anything that the church has struggled with all through its existence is this idea of being one people, of unity. And if there's one thing that we really need to pray, it's the prayer of Jesus. Father, that we might be one, even as you are with me and I am with you. Because it's, the, the church is meant to reflect into the world a different story to the world of fragmentation, isolation, and idols. The church is meant to be this place where it's like, we've laid all that down. We've given up our ideal, our idolization of how life should look on my terms, and we've taken up life with Jesus. We let him be king. We, we, we choose to no longer live isolated lives. We choose to engage in life together under King Jesus because it's meant to reflect a different story. It's meant to reflect a better story. It's meant to reflect the story of the kindness of God as it was back in the book in Genesis 1. Walking with God in the cool of the day and fragmentation as well. Even within ourselves, our own broken thinking, our own broken hearts, our own broken bodies, that we get to walk life together under the Holy Spirit and experiencing a renewed way of understanding ourselves that's healthy. As we spend time in relationship with each other, we get to reflect back to each other who we really are. And we get to help each other discover that there's more healing for us emotionally, spiritually, relationally, mentally, economically, all of the ease. <laughs> it's meant to be a better story, a different story. That's why we need to be joining Jesus in what Jesus is praying God, make them one, unify them in such a way that it profoundly tells the world a different story and it breaks the neck of the powers of darkness that have ruled for far too long. And so what are the powers of darkness doing? Let's do everything we can to mobilise ourselves to disunify the church. And so the, the long story of the church, of the people of Jesus, is one of incredible unity and disunity all at the same time. And so that's why we have all of these different flavours, brands, denominations. It's really, and it's like, it didn't it start, it's in the book. It's even in, if you go and read this story in Acts 15, it's like all of a sudden, it's like the earliest of the early church. <laughs> They're trying to figure this out because um, Paul and the guys are out there preaching Jesus And they're coming to Christ and then the old school Jewish now following Jesus Christians are saying, well, all these new Gentiles that have come to faith, they need to be circumcised like Moses said we had to be circumcised. And then Paul's going, I don't think so. I think it's by grace that they're saved, not law. And that with Jesus is the end of the law and now there's grace. And so everyone can come into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ and be a part of The people of Jesus in the earth. It's not based on law, but now grace. And well, anyway, they're like, we need to call a meeting. So everyone heads to HQ, back to Jerusalem. So they head back to Jerusalem. And as they get to Jerusalem, you can read it in Acts 15. They're arguing over this. Well, I think they should be circumcised. I think they shouldn't be circumcised. And if you watch over time, there's different fracturing realities, even in the body of Jesus. Way back there. Church in Corinth, that was a cracking church. The Holy Spirit like manifested big time every time this church got together. But these people were incredibly carnal and broken. And at the same time, there was like, well, we're the super apostles and you're just the people. And so there was elevation of leaders over people. And Paul's like, you guys are missing the point. And so there became another argumentation and a battling and a wrestling over the fracturing that was in the Corinthian church. That was a cracking church, man. That was a great church. They had their issues like every other church and they were trying to work it out. But one of the beauties of the honesty, of the honesty of the story of God caught in the scriptures is that the church, the people of Jesus, We're willing to wrestle it out. Where we and choose each other over our need to be right. There's a different story being told through the people of Jesus into the earth. So, in one sense, that's our heart and our prayer is that like the creedal guys got it. It's like, yeah, one church with Jesus. All over the world, glory to God, salvation to the people. And yet, in the outworking of all of that, man, I wish we could get some agreement together on some of these things. But even if we don't, let's not surrender the big mission of God. Let's stay on task. And so we get, you roll that out through time and history. (laughs) And then you get all these different churches over time in history. Now, I'm, I'm making light of a very long story here, but um, how many, it's like, well, how can there be one church and yet all these different denominations and flavours? Well, that, that is ultimately both, A, a result of the church's inability to be unified, and yet at the same time, on the flip side of that coin, it's the redemptive work of God to, through the diversity of his love, Still, get on with the big mission, even though his people are fragile. It's grace. It's grace. <laughs> one of the one of the great joys I had when I did my studies, my theological studies, way way back. <laughs> it's getting way back yeah. I can tell. There's a long way ago, but when I did my theological studies and my and my formation, uh, and I spent four years nutting some of this stuff out in sort of in colleges, I got to do that alongside and with um, Catholic students, men that were signing up for the priesthood. And so sometimes I would have Catholic professors lecturing me. I got to do this with the Anglicans as well. And they hold some positions on things that I don't, I don't agree with. Same with the Catholic Church. They hold some positions with things that I don't agree with. And I was coming out of a historically Methodist tradition. And so, you know, I remember sitting in class one day. I was doing this subject called Humanity, Sin and Grace. And I was sitting next to a dear sister, like literally a a praying nun, sister, sister. And she was in her full gear, you know, her full kit. And she said, We were talking about this stuff and she she just leans over to me one day and she just quietly goes, I can't wait for the day that I become fully divine. And I went, what? I said, where are you coming from? She goes, that's what I really believe. You know, I'm just going to enter in the full divinity of Christ and I'm going to walk in this divinity. I said, well, that may well be. But I said, I'm coming from the place where I can't wait to be fully human. She's like, where are you coming from? I'm like, from the earth. I want to be human. (laughs) I can't wait for the day that I can be fully, like Jesus said I could be, as a human being, fully flourishing under God. So here we were, the two of us, Sister Nun and me. And we're having this great little conversation together while our professor is lecturing us. And I'm just like, "But," but there was disagreement. But she could find her place in that part of the body. And due to the kindness of God, I could find my place in the part of the body that I was in, into the kindness of God. And so one of the things that I really appreciated about that time was actually developing a love for the church, like the whole church. All the so, so I would go once a week to mass. Bells, smells, crosses, kneels, all of that sort of stuff, you know, I like. I have no idea what I was doing. I was just following the Catholic brothers. I'm like, how do you do that? What do you? Why are we doing this? But anyway, I did that. And then they would come to our chapel services on another day of the week. And those Catholic guys are like, "Why aren't you like bowing down to? And when you take communion, you guys you leave stuff behind, and you shouldn't because it's been blessed." And we're like, "No, we don't hold that same position that you do about the bread and the wine." But somehow, in the kindness of God. We found ourselves as brothers and families on the way with Jesus. And the best place we worked it out was, to be honest, where we really worked out our differences was at the end of term, where the Catholics would play the Protestants in cricket. That's really where we worked it out. That's really where we worked it out. And we would, you know, anyway, that was another story. <clears throat> that's where we worked it out. But we were brothers and sisters on the road together, following Jesus, and yet somehow I'm so thankful for that formation in my life, where for me, it's, it's, I found my place and space in the body of Jesus where I belong, and I'm thankful that others have found their place and space in the part of the body that they belong in. And I praise God for that, and I pray for all the churches. When I drive around town here, it doesn't matter what brand's on the door. I pray for them that, Father, they would know your great love. They would know Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit as a people and that you would bless them, that they might be one. See, I love the Catholic Church because the Catholic, now when I'm talking Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church reminds us of our deep history as, as the people of Jesus. They were kind of like some of the formation of the very early church the Church Catholic, once Constantine came along. Uh, I love that they reminded me of the history. You know, a couple of years ago, Nicole and I, we got the privilege of going to Rome for a couple of days and we went to the Vatican. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, incredibly spiritual. We connected with the Holy Spirit, like some of the, the iconography in the glass windows, Amazing that brought forth the revelation of the love of the Father through Christ. It's such a, a joy to be able to go, wow, God, this stuff's been here a long time. I love the history of that. I love the Baptists. The Baptists remind the people of Jesus, hey, we're Bible people. We love Bible. I love that about the Baptists. You get with Baptists, and they want to want to quote you a scripture. They want to pull out the book. They want to tease it apart, every word to the nth degree. I love that. That's a reminder to me. Get about the Bible. I love that about the Baptists. It's a very part, big part of their—the their, 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 way they do life together. Every setting, every gathering, they peel open the Bible together. They read it together. I love the Baptists. The Methodists, I love the Methodists too. John Wesley and the Methodists. Those guys call people to personal holiness under God. It's like, hey, quit that sinning. Quit that sinning. Let the holiness of God shape your life and free you forever. I love that about the Methodist church and the history of Methodism. I also love the fact that the Methodists... They, historically, maybe not so much now, but I won't make commentary on that, on this. But just to say, historically, they were the guys that would, they would stand there and they would call people to make a decision on the person of Jesus Christ in the here and the now. Because your life, there is life implications, both now and for eternity, should you not depending on what decision you make about Jesus Christ. I love that about Methodists. They get fired up about that, or they historically they did. I love the Presbyterians, the Prezies, They're all about the sovereignty of God and the covenants of God, the big story of God. And they'll use that language, God's in control. God's in control. He'll have his way. They have an understanding of how, you know, I don't personally agree with it but they have a way of thinking that this is how history is going to roll out and so for them it's like it's going to get darker and darker so bunker down hold on and then the end will come i i don't hold to that but i love that about them they speak this god the big sovereign god is lord and king over all creation and heaven and in his is in ultimate control It's good. You hang out with the Presbyterians, you'll get a bunch of that. So when you're feeling a little bit wobbly in your daily day-to-day, go and hang out with a Presbyterian. And they'll remind you, hey, God's in control. And you'll take comfort in that. I also love, who else we got up here? Oh, the Pentecostals. I love the Pentecostals. Because the Pentecostals, they're the guys and girls that are sold out, given to the ongoing current day outworking of the power of the Spirit of God. They love being in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they're a great reminder to us when we're not so Holy Spirit engaged. It's like, hey, I need to engage with the Holy Spirit. Actually, that's right. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Actually, that's right. The Holy Spirit is gifting me with the grace of God to be able to do life. Actually, that's right. The Holy Spirit's in there encouraging me with these language of prayer, like tongues, to be able to be edified in my day-to-day communion with God and people. So, love the Pentecostals. You hang out with the Pentecostals? No problem is too big. The miracle working God will bring his kingdom. The Spirit of God will come. No problem. Now, I love that. But I also... I probably wouldn't go as far down the line as they go with their triumphalism. That it's like, yeah, man, it's all done. It's fixed. It's done. Your, your sickness and your brokenness, that's not really, it's done. <laughs> so just get over it. Well, like, That doesn't work for me. Because I work with people when we, when we pray for the kingdom to come, they're still crook they 're still fighting for their faith, they're healing, I'm like, well, I, yes, but no, for me. But I love the Pentecostals. The other week, I got together with a bunch of Pentecostal pastors up the road, and they were having to well I, they invited me to something I can 't remember exactly what it was. But all I know is once we walked in the door, once I walked in the door, I was late. There was about 20 of us in the room. And they were just like, Kirk, you're here. Like the guy at the front with the microphone. Kirk, you're here. I'm like, thanks for pointing me out, man. I'm trying to sneak in, you know. He's like, there's a seat for you right at the front. I'm like, all right. Thanks, thanks, thanks man. And then for the next, I don't know, hour, they were just like, shoulda bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Honda. I mean, they just go on and on and on. And they're like, we're shifting atmospheres. We're seeing the kingdom come over our city. We're pulling down strongholds. We're advanced. Come, Jesus, come. I mean, they just go on and on and on. And I think it's legit. I think it's their enthusiasm under the unctioning of the Holy Spirit. I think it's legitimate. And you know what happened to me? I got swept up in it. I got swept up in it. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you in this. And before you know it, I'm shoulda bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Honda. I love that about the Pentecostals. I love that they love the Holy Spirit. I love that they are hunger and thirst for the power of God. I love that about the Pentecostals. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about here. This is good. You see how rich and diverse the body of Jesus is. It's, a be- it's like while it's a, it, in, in some sense that reality is because we haven't been able to be walk this oneness, and yet in the redeeming kindness of God, He takes these broken people trying to figure it out, walking with Him, and He says, "I oh know you're still one big church. There's just a lot of different parts to the stew." There's just a few different ingredients in the stew and you're an important ingredient and you're an important ingredient and you'll find your place in the stew. And that's what I love about the vineyard. The vineyard's a movement that's only 40-something years old but it also comes out of a, a long backstory of trying to figure out what, what, who we agree with and who we don't and where, we, where, where we were, what was acceptable and what wasn't. But I love the vineyard because now the vineyard holds this place in the earth that God has grown us to being these people of the both end. We are the people of the Word and the Spirit. We want, we want that hunger and passion that the Baptists have for the Scriptures. And at the same time, we want that power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We are the people of the Word and Spirit. We are the people of the Word and the works of Jesus. We are the people who proclaim the kingdom and demonstrate the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're the both end people. We're the people that people come to when they kind of want some of the Pentecostal stuff, but they don't want to miss out on the Baptist stuff. Well, where do we belong? Well, hello, we're Word and Spirit people. That's where we want to walk. That's who God's called us to be in the big stew of his kingdom and the big stew of his body of Christ. So one church, yet many different flavours. Why is this idea of... And the other thing is great love, great love. Not great enemies, (laughs) great love. Great love for the church. That's what God's called us here as the vineyard, is to have a great love for the whole church. One church, yet many denominations. Um, Let me go back one here. There we go. Why is this important to us? Well, finally, it's important to us because, A, it's important to Jesus. It's his prayer. And we've been called up into his prayer that they might be one. And so we pray like that. We walk that out. It's also our identity and our life together in Jesus. We are the church. We are the church. We are the people of Jesus where King Jesus gets to have his way under the power of the Holy Spirit as we live a different reality a kingdom of god reality in this age right here and right now you paul says are the body of christ he also goes on to talk about how jesus is the head of that body but you are the body of christ and you are a significant part of it we are part of a significant part of The body of Christ in the earth. Can a hand do what a foot does? No. Can an eye do what an ear does? No. Yet they're all important and they all have their place. Same too as the people of Jesus. We have our place. Why is this important to us, this idea of unity? Well, I just want to finish on this um, way back in Psalms, Psalm 133, there's this fantastic um, truth. There's this fantastic truth. And this truth is, it says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This oneness of Father, me, and you, and you, and me. When how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. See that? The two markers of what unity looks like. It's good to be with those people. It's pleasant to be around them. Notice that. Those Jews people, I, I like being around them. I'm not sure why I like being around them, but I like being around them. You may find yourself with people strangely warmed to want to spend some of their life around you and with you. Why is that? Well, as a result of this oneness, this unity with God, his heart, there's a pleasant and good reality to that. And he describes it. I won't go into the full detail of this, but he, he says, it's like oil poured out on the head, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. So Aaron... Is priest, and when the spirit of when when anointed for the ministry of being a priest, this is way back in the Old Testament stuff, they were anointed with oil. Now, I literally did this to a guy once, I I couldn't find the pictures this morning to bring up for you, but I did this for a guy once. He was like, You know, the spirit of the Lord is on me, he's anointed me. I said, Let's do it like Isaiah had it in mind, and let's do it like David had in mind here in Psalm, 33, in Psalm 133, let's get some oil. And he knelt down and we just, we just poured this huge vat of oil over him. And it was thick and it was, it just slowly came down and covered every part of his whole face and neck and then down over his, I think it ruined his clothes, but anyway, know. I don't know. I sent him on his way with a towel. Said, so, "Yeah, you might want to go and shower." But we anointed him. The imagery here is of that, of like when God's priestly people get anointed, and and G- now let's flip this quickly into the New Testament. That the Holy Spirit would come and anoint the people of Jesus in the earth. It would be this overcoming reality that would just be thick and cover over and touch every aspect of our life with the good and pleasant realities of God. It would be like that. It's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Mount Zion, historically in the Old Testament, is the mountain of God, the presence of God, the representation of the highest meeting point of intimacy with God and his people. It's like when the Jew settles... On that high place. It's like that. He's trying to put some language to it. For there, in that place, I love this, the Lord bestows blessing. The Lord bestows blessing. Where there's this dwelling together under the Holy Spirit. Where there's this generosity of outpouring of the kindness of God and his Holy Spirit on the people of Jesus. It's in that place, that relational space, that fellowshipping place, that walking with Jesus together in oneness with the heart of the Father place that God bestows blessing, his kingdom rule and reign, his authority. Blessing upon blessing. That's why when we sing like we did this morning, oh, we hunger and thirst for you, Holy Spirit. We're saying, God, we want more of that. Your church here, your church in the earth, we're crying out, anoint us, anoint us, anoint us. Because our world desperately needs something good and pleasant and we know that we've found that in your son Jesus and we thank you that we are your church. Anoint us, Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to us at PRV um, Alan Scott finishes, I'll just finish with this there's a great great book called Scattered Servants written by a vineyard pastor he was originally from he's a Scottish man but he, he and his wife Catherine pastored a church in the northern part of Ireland called Causeway Coast Vineyard amazing story you can check it out sometime he's, he and Catherine have moved to um, Anaheim California and they now pastor the Anaheim Vineyard which was John and Carol Wimber's Vineyard Church Um, but he wrote a book called Scattered Servants. And I just, I just love this because when, when we get this, when we understand this, it changes how we do life. And Alan says this. He says, It's time to unlock kingdom identity, kingdom authority, and kingdom ministry to unleash the power of everyone, everywhere, every day, so that the church begins to fill every city, every industry, every family with the beauty of the story of Christ. Let's stand and pray.